when you're starting out or when your cash is tight and the market is looking like having a decent run ahead as it is now, what I'd be looking at is how long is it going to take for you to save to get into the market again? Basically, getting more leverage for the money that you're putting in and hopefully getting into the market sooner and hopefully controlling more value of property so that when a cycle comes around, you're going to get that growth, you're going to get that equity in there. Welcome to Perth Property Insider, where you will learn how to grow your wealth and improve your life using Perth Property. Our show is brought to you by Investors Edge Real Estate, the highly rated and award-winning property management, sales and buyers agency servicing the whole of Perth. Now, here's your host, Jared Mann. Today, I wanted to go through some of the tactics at each sort of step of your property investing to look at optimising things making those little tweaks so they're going to make a difference to your overall returns and how smooth things are running. And I thought it'd be a great way to start the year. Now, what is a tactic? Well, a tactic is, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, a planned way of doing something. And I like to think of a tactic, when when we think about an analogy of a tactic kind of fits within a battle and a battle might have an overall strategy and there's an overall plan that wraps around that to win a war. Now, we're not trying to win a war, but what I do see a lot of investors and hear on a lot of podcasts, confusion. When I ask them what's their overall plan or what's their strategic plan for their portfolio and where are they trying to actually get to, and how does this property fit into it? People often answer to me with tactics and they're a lot more narrower. They're a, a small part of that overall plan. So don't confuse a tactic for your larger plan. And I've done plenty of podcast episodes and most recently one about setting a strategic plan and the benefits of of having that clarity and you know planning out all the different stages that you go through so go back and listen to that one but today rather than doing a single episode on one or two tactics i wanted it to be more of a quick fire from that because even if you know about some of these tactics when i was putting this list together i myself was going through going yeah look i should revisit that that could be a way to improve my return and optimize things. So it was a good reminder for me to bring this uh, episode together as well. Now, let's start at beginning step that most investors go through when they're investing, and that is coming up with what structure they're going to use for the purchase. The other way of describing that is what entity. So Consideration needs to be given and you need to chat to, it helps to chat to an accountant most particularly. Some people also get legal input and, but accountant really is sort of first place to start for getting input on structure. And some of the things you might want to consider in going to them is, is it worth putting the property in a trust or should you be looking at purchasing in personal names. Now, we had Ash Randis of the show from Eventum 
group. He's a fabulous accountant and that was a few episodes back. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. A good episode on deciding whether a trust can add benefit for you and your purchase and it's not something you can go back and change without paying transfer duty and a lot of other costs to change things over. So you definitely need to decide on it before you purchase. There's a lot of power in trusts, especially as your properties become more positive, you can distribute that income around. When you sell a property, you can distribute the gains around more tax effectively. And there can be some really good uh, ways to involve the family as they get older and by distributing other amounts to them or having them perform you know, roles for the overall group of investments. So trusts can also be pretty powerful when they're producing positive income because the trust could stand alone and get assessed for borrowing on its own right as, as its own entity. So that can be allowed more options other than just what you can borrow for personally down the track potentially. And there's a lot of power if you've got a business in the background that can distribute income into the trust and that way losses aren't getting trapped in there, that the trust can receive other income from your business and other activities. So one area to apply at Pactic is choosing that structure before you even go and purchase. One of the other structures to consider, especially if you've potentially maxed out what you can do in your personal name and if you've got I think like to usually think maybe 150000 or more in super, it could be worth looking at whether you purchase a property in a self-managed super fund. And I'm trying to get Ash back to go into some of the opportunities and risks associated with that. So you definitely need to get an accountant and or financial planner's input on how this all comes together because... You really want your investments in super to be for the real long term. I have any investments and suggest you have any investment for the long term, but it might approach, you know, how you approach the type of property. You can't really develop in super or do major upgrades, renovations, certainly not without complication as far as I know. So you really want to have that property to be set and forget and to really suit that type of environment and you'd also want to make sure that you're getting the right sort of mix of assets and maybe not being too heavy in property certainly this is not personalized advice you need to get advice from those experts but it's another tactic to potentially look at and fit it in within your overall plan whether you're purchasing some of your property in super and it may make more sense down the track once you've accumulated uh, more funds for use in there or potentially when you're closer to retirement if you're you know it's, it's a lot of people end up looking at a commercial property or something that's more income producing and stable when they're transitioning to that retirement phase so next sort of step of that investing journey might be when you're looking at the area of finance so you've got your structure set and in mind now we're looking at finance what are some of the tactics that we can look at and levers we can pull to optimize things first one is look at your loan to value ratio that you're borrowing at and if it is worth paying the lender's mortgage insurance to go higher 
than an 80% borrowing. So at 80% or less, we don't pay lenders mortgage insurance. But the moment we go to 81% and or above 80%, we pay start to pay lenders mortgage insurance. So when you're starting out or when your cash is tight, uh, the market is looking like having a decent run ahead as it is now. What I'd be looking at is how long is it going to take to, for you to save to get into the market again? And if your savings rate's going to mean that you know you're going to be delayed six months or twelve months when the market's going up at ten grand a month, it's well and truly worth you know getting into the market sooner and potentially or potentially controlling more property sooner by increasing your loan to value ratio and i'd regularly look at some people when we're in that boat look at borrowing at 85 percent the lenders mortgage insurance is still quite reasonable but when you get closer and up to 90 percent of your borrowing the lmi is going to be you know a lot higher and so sometimes that lenders mortgage insurance can also be included in the loan so you're not having to come up with the extra cash as well basically getting more leverage for the money that you're putting in and hopefully getting into the market sooner and hopefully controlling more value of property so that when a cycle comes around you're going to get that growth you're going to get that equity in there you're then going to be able to potentially refinance to other banks once that loan to value ratio drops below 80 percent so it's not something that you you want to do indefinitely. You want your loan to value ratios to to drop so that you're able to refinance if you need to, and so that your overall portfolio is a bit less pushed to the hilt. We don't want to. We want to be a bit more conservative. So my LVR across the board at the moment, I think at about sixty five percent. So. You know, over time, it also helps to decrease that LVR so that you've repaid more debt. The rents are then starting to cover much more of the loan interest and you move into the positive positive cash flow territory. So one of the other tactics for how you might use LVR, I looked at pushing things above 80%, is investors that I work with where they're like, I just want to buy a quality property. They get me to work out how much extra they might need to tip in so that the property's neutral year. For them, buying quality is more important and they don't mind being less leveraged. So, for example, it might mean um, tipping an extra 10% deposit in to borrow at 70% loan-to-value ratio instead, and that's the point at which the property's neutral, not costing them any money to hold even at the higher interest rates and... It depends where you sit on that spectrum and and how you know what sort of affordability you have to afford cash flow into your investment portfolio and and propping it up. It will obviously mean if you're tipping extra money into that uh, deposit that you're going to be able to control less property. But if you have lots of property already, that might not be your driving factor. Might not be the most important thing to you especially if you're later in life and you don't want the, the cash flow or you're transitioning to retirement, you know, you might be leaning more towards that lower loan to ratio. So there's some some of the tactics that you can look to use around LVR and LMI. 
loan to pay ratio and lenders mortgage insurance. Next sort of area of finance that you might look at is a lot of people focus on just the interest rate and any great finance broker will tell you that to keep moving your portfolio forward, interest rate is important and it's a factor, but policy and getting access to more lending is even more important because each of the banks have different policies. That's why it's great to work with a good finance broker because they can match up your situation with the lenders that are going to be more favourable to you borrowing more. One of the tactics here is to be willing to go to the second and third tier lenders. You might stick with the first tier lenders, the big four or big five banks, for your first few loans. You're, you're within their boxes. If you, A lot of people deal with the bank directly. They get told no, they can't make another purchase. So a tactic here is to go to a finance broker, and I think you should speak to a finance broker always from the beginning anyway. They're going to be able to shop it around and get you the best rate as well as the best policy fit. So they can you know, really help you cut through that complexity and work out which policies are going to be most attractive and to you and be, lead to you being able to borrow more. And it can be a massive difference in the actual borrowing capacity that you can get from one bank to another depending on how they treat you. And when you're a business owner or not a strictly fitting in the box, these policies can be even more important because they some banks take one year's financials or some of them take two years, an average of them. And if you've had a really strong financial year, bank that takes the one year financials could be could be willing to lend you a lot more than the one that averages the last two years. Things like that. And You'd also be wanting to look at how policies relate to the type of structure that you're going to purchase under two as another tactic. So some banks don't like trusts and won't be willing to lend as much to them. So worth chatting to your finance broker in the beginning before you go setting up your structure as well. You take what the accountant said, you go to the finance broker, tell them this is what the accounts recommended. What sort of lending options am I going to add and get their input on how, if it's worth setting up before you go ahead and pull the trigger. Other tactics we can use for finance, fixed versus variable. Now you see lots of discussion on the forum, the round and Facebook groups about at various times about whether they should take on a fixed loan or stay variable. You know, it's a tactic that you can deploy people you know, I'm very jealous of those that fix their loans at 2% and, you know, they've, boy, they've been having a, a fabulous two or three years on that fixed loan. It's always hard to tell which way and when the market is going to go. I would think that we're towards the top and most economists would say the same, that we're towards the top of the interest rate cycle. So I can't imagine fixing the rate now would be the greatest idea. Again, this is just my thoughts, not advice to you. So I'd be more sticking personally with variable at the moment. There's going to be those different opportunities where a fixed loan is going to be more important. Some of the other things to factor into this is to chat to your finance broker or bank about what this is going to mean for paying out the loan earlier if you needed to get out or sell the property. What is this going to mean for, you know, usually when you fix the loan, 
they then don't count uh, any money in offset against the mortgage, so they don't. You can't offset money, and so there's other implications other than just locking in the rate. So look at exit and the offset account. A lot of sort of tactics to look at employing finance, and there's a lot of tactics for finance here. So stick with me. And the reason I'm going through them all is that you probably heard people like Michael Yardney saying that. Property investing is a game of finance with houses thrown in, and it couldn't be more true. If some of these tactics can free you up and enable you to make that extra purchase, that's going to be all the difference, and that's why I'm spending so much time in this area. So one of the other tactics might be paying interest only versus going principal and interest. Now, my opinion is that if the loan, if your overall cash flow position is negative, you should have the p- property on interest only. And especially if you've got a personal debt, a personal home or any kind of personal debt, I would preferentially be paying that off first and paying the principal off of that, making extra repayments on the home and or on any personal loans before you go paying down the loans on your investment properties. So most interest-only loans only go now for a period of five years maximum and then they revert over to principal and interest. A lot of investors got us, you know, a bit shocked when they this was all happening for the last few years because they, in some cases, they weren't able to refinance and that's the potential risk if you can't afford the principal and interest repayments. But the banks are testing your finances based on a principal and interest repayment when they assess your borrowing capacity. They're also factoring in a higher interest rate still. If you went and applied for a loan today, they'd factor in, I think, 3% still on top of what it is today, which seems crazy when we're at the top of the interest rate cycle. But it's a really, I think, important tactic to keep refinancing, especially if the overall properties cash flow negatives and each five years that's going to also give you a chance for your broker to check that you've got the best rate that you're still fitting within policy and reviewing your whole loan situation at that time so i don't think it's that being a burden you upload read all your financials and they shop it around and work out do you stick with the current lender and reset and go for another five years interest only or do you refinance and start a whole new loan with another lender next tactics and this is an obvious one but the most important thing when trying to build a portfolio is trying to increase your borrowing capacity so you can continue to expand and add properties and we usually all have a bottleneck and the bottleneck can either be saving up deposits and uh, increasing prices and increasing equity helps with you know funding those deposits so it doesn't all have to be out of cash savings so combining equity and savings together is going to help you get into more properties with enough deposit we've spoken about using a higher loan to value ratio to get in sooner and not need as much deposit But the other bottleneck that people face is that their incomes aren't allowing them to borrow enough. And presuming you've also 
exhausted the policy differences between banks and you've you know tapped into those that are going to be able to lend you more really it then comes down to increasing your income to increase that borrowing capacity and even 10k extra in your job income business owners have a bit more flexibility to try and plan out and boost their profits so they can pay themselves more and when we create a strategic plan we can also quickly work out and your broker can help you with this too well what does earning an extra five grand a year 10 grand a year 20 grand a year what is that going to enable you to borrow extra and when you can see and get clarity on how that's going to enable you to move forward it can become a lot more motivating then for you to go off and start seeing what extra you can do at your work trying to add more value become more valuable to that business whether you're an income whether you're an employee or a business owner if you add more value then surely the marketplace and all your work is going to pay you more and so it should be a real tactic as part of your overall plan to continue to focus on upskilling and increasing your income so that you can continue to get more debt and grow that portfolio so other ways we can increase income which i've sort of touched on there more what you can do on personal front with either your job or your business but you can also look at in making sure that your rents are continually increased so this is something that we're going to do for our landlords automatically anyway and yes it's challenging for your tenants to keep paying you're increasing in rents but if they went and rented the same property elsewhere they'd have to pay the same rent we just want to make sure that it's in line with market and you know we've all got increasing costs you've got increasing costs too you've got in- had increasing loan interest so really we certainly care for respect and appreciate our tenants but we are running a small business we're investing to get a return and therefore we need to keep the property at market rate and the moment that the rent starts to slip too much from market yes you might in the shorter term agree to not increasing the rent as much to keep the tenant but if they've tapped out in what they can afford it's really difficult but when the gap becomes too big it's going to mean that it's much there's much more incentive to finishing up the lease and finding a tenant that can continue to pay the market rate and uh, if it's going to be a temporary thing that they might not be able to afford then that's you can have that chat and see is things likely to change are they going to be do they want to really stay there some tenants will be looking to make changes to their expenses that they've got and they'd rather do that than change where they live which is fine and we all need to look at probably tightening the belt at the moment with the way that expenses are i'm doing the same so increasing rents is very important the other way that we can look to increase rents other than just in line with market rate is that i would always be looking at keeping the condition of your property as high as possible so when we go back to the market we're going to command a premium for that there's times when it you know where you might be between tenancies with a tenancy moving out you might decide to do a larger sort of uh, refurbishment or 
a number of things that you can't do when the tenancy is in place. And if it means that you're able to rent it out for an extra hundred dollars a week, you know, that's going to start to quickly pay for itself and mean that you can command more, not just for that uh, tenancy, but every tenancy moving onwards. And it's always prudent to maintain your asset because you never know when you might turn around and want to sell it. And especially if you're pushing to be able to borrow more, it doing things and keeping your property well maintained may also help you get access to higher valuations and be able to pull more equity out to fund those deposits. So one of the classic things that can be worth doing is having your property manager reach out to your tenants and ask them, is there anything extra that they would need in the property or would want in the property? And some tenants will immediately think of things. They'll be like, we'd love a dishwasher in that dishwasher recess. We'd love an alarm system and a security screen. We're really conscious of security. And if you know that the tenant's going to stay, you could also have your manager ask them how much would they be willing to pay for those things. And let's say in the case of a dishwasher, they might be willing to pay an extra 20 bucks a week. Doesn't sound like much, does it? But over the course of 52 weeks in the year, that's $1,000. It might only cost you 600 for the dishwasher plus, you know, 80 to have it delivered and, and uh, changed over. And you'd be able to claim that on depreciation and potentially if you're, you don't have the cash flow, you might be able to put it on a, a payment plan. Not that I'd suggest that, but some clients take that approach too so that's not coming out of cash flow. And if it means that you're getting $1,000 extra back in the first year, then that's going to help show a higher rent when you come to borrow again and add more cash flow to your pocket and you'll be in a better position after the first sort of 10 months alone and hopefully they'll continue to pay that for a number of years and it will also help them want to stay in the property and stop you needing to come up with other money to with potential vacancy and potential leasing costs and changing them over. So always worth asking that question. Other tactics for finance. Well, what else we got here? Offset accounts. I touched on an offset account earlier, but it can be pretty powerful when you look at using an offset account smartly. And it's especially important now that interest rates are higher. Like before when we had money parked and offset and we were saving 2%, whoop de doo it's not much money that you're saving. But now when, you know, your home loan might be at 6.5%, that's pretty decent for every 100000 that you've got parked in there before you have a use for it, saving $6,500 per year. So, you know, you're making $500-odd a month just for doing nothing and having the money in there. And so when I'm saving up my deposits and saving for other investments, I park money in my offset account against the home because the home interest is non-tax deductible. So again, set, look to set up the offset account against your home loan. And if you were choosing about where extra to make repayments, something called debt recycling is where you basically look to make those extra repayments of with any income that you've got 
the extra repayments go into paying off your home. And then when you uh, built up equity, you're pulling that equity back out to use for investing. And that when you're using it for investment purposes, it becomes tax deductible and and you know helps you get that next investment property with the de- using the equity towards the deposit. So that can be worth doing recycling the debt recycling so you pay down the home pull out money for investment rather than just keeping the money aside and then using it for investment without middle step of paying down the home so another tactic to use in there that over 10 20 years could mean that you save a lot extra on basically you're getting rid of that non-deductible debt first and being able to claim more of the the investment debt uh, fully offset against your against your income as a tax deduction. So next area. So we finished with the finance area. I'm glad you stuck with me. There was a fair bit to that. Hopefully it didn't hurt your head. Hopefully you picked up one or two things to revisit. Next area of your property journey that you can start to look at using some different tactics is with your research. So the one tactic that a lot of people use just to make everything else easy is to use a buyer's agent. Now, they're going to have a lot more experience in doing research. They're going to have their own methodologies for how they research and choose a suburb, area, and property. Some of the tactics that I see people use with research and choosing suburb is that that so those that have much more focused on cash flow or if cash flow is a a driving factor to what they're doing they often can set a minimum yield or rental return that they're trying to get and that is can often drive their research and drive those decisions of which suburbs they're getting into not necessarily the approach that i would take but it's a tactic that many people do take when they're more cash flow focused and I like prefer to buy the best quality of property and focus more on optimizing growth and still have its rental return as a part of that decision, but not the driving tactic for my research. Now, other tactics you may take when researching and trying to choose your suburb is that I also see many investors and buyers agents being completely short-term focused or focused basically on where is a hot spot. They could use prediction tools and algorithms just to do this. They may look at other people's research where there might be lots of, you know, reasons to get into an area. And the differential here, why this is a tactic is that the focus is completely on what the suburb might do over the shorter term. And why do they skew so far towards the short term? Well, they're really just wanting to get a 20% uplift as quickly as possible so that they can refinance, pull the deposit out that they've initially put in, linking back to the finance step that we were just talking about. And once you've got your money out of the property, you can use that again for adding to your portfolio and adding the next property. So for a lot of buyers agents, short term is their single focus and it can, in my opinion, lead to 
while you might get a spurt, and and I've seen this happen in Perth over the last 10 years, just because something's a good short-term buy, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to perform over the long term. So one of the other tactics of how you may choose a suburb with your research is looking at what has historically performed over the longer term. You look back at and choose a suburb with as long a history as you can get, and you then look at how the individual properties performed. And what I prefer to do is I try to use all of these tactics when choosing a suburb, not just one single tactic. So I'm not strictly long-term focused. I'm not strictly short-term focused. I combine the two. And then I also mix in with our research. Some others use the tactic of focusing on having a limited land supply and that's their sole focus for their research. So they wouldn't obviously be buying in places like Byford and Baldavis that have got a lot of land on the outer areas. Land supply is going to be coming on for a long time. Those areas are probably examples that for some people at the moment, they're focusing on them just purely for the short term and what they can do. But longer term, I've, because of that land supply, you know, they don't check out to me. Some of the other tactics people use with their research is following infrastructure. And this can often lead to some those shorter-term hotspot decisions being made. They say, hey, it's getting a new shops, it's getting a train line, it's getting a train station, it's getting a freeway extension. And they use that as the pure reason that they're getting into there. What often comes with this new infrastructure in many cases is more land supply. So that's why with my research, I don't like to use any one of these tactics in isolation. I'm trying to find limited land supply. I place a lot of importance on the long-term performance, but also probably just as much waiting to the shorter-term performance. And I've got a minimum rental yield in mind, but it's not the driving factor for how we select the suburbs. It's more just how we select the properties down at that level. And I'd be, I look at infrastructure as being a bonus to enhance these, uh, the, the long-term history and the short-term predictions. So if we can combine infrastructure on the top of the limited land supply, then it's going to be a lot more powerful than adding infrastructure to an area that is going to keep having land supply come on indefinitely. And if you want to make all of that research set parts simple, obviously use a buyer's agent and go deeper to finding out how they go about their suburb selection and are they focused on just one of these tactics because at the expense of others and, you know, our methodology, hopefully I've given you a bit more insight into what we look at there. Now, the next step is you've done your research, you've found some properties, how are you going to go about purchasing it? What's some tactics that we can use to optimize this area and improve your returns? Well, a tactic that always pays dividends is having a great rapport with the selling agent and really, I, I call them, they're, they're my new bestie. <laughs> if you can befriend the agent, you're going to be able to find out a lot more info. They're going to communicate well with you. They're going to get back to you. They're going to potentially give you, recommend to the seller that, that that they go with your offer over others because they just like you and they have more trust in you. 
completing the purchase. So don't underestimate how important the tactic of building rapport is. And you don't have to even break it down to being a tactic. Just be a likable human being that's good at communicating and that's going to be half half the job. So other tactics when purchasing is potentially look at offering sight unseen off of a video and preferably a floor plan if you can get one too. Why can this tactic help you when purchasing? It does push the comfort zone a bit to think about buying something off of the video only, but I would estimate at the moment that it, half the properties are being sold before the first time open. And it was not something that we did six months ago. We'd always insist on seeing the property. But depending on the property type and how confident we can be in the video that's sent through and the rest of the data and photos and information that we can get access to, depending on that whole confidence that we have in the, the entirety of the diligence, around 50% of the properties that we bought across November and December, we bought off of a video site unseen and it we would have missed out on properties and only had half the properties to, to compete for if we hadn't done. And why is it also a good tactic to consider? Not everyone's comfortable with it, I understand. So some of our clients, we they insist that we inspect it and most of them use, usually leave it up to my better judgment as to whether we're really needing an inspection or whether we're comfortable enough to offer off the video. If you can be comfortable, there's many investors that aren't comfortable. So that is already meaning that you've got less other buyers to compete with. Many home buyers will not buy for video. They will want to see it. So again, it could be cutting out the home buyers from being in the mix. And for that very reason, it would be definitely worth considering whether you can do it. Now, if the properties, you can clearly see that it's well-maintained, that it's well-presented, that's going to be very different to buying a very old property that could have a lot of hidden maintenance that isn't getting shown, isn't easily seeable. So take it case by case. Other tactics to use when purchasing, we've got the negotiation. So there's a whole podcast we could do in this area. But one of the court tactics that you can look to use is trying to come last in. And that's where we would hang back. We would wait till the other offers come in. We would try to have enough rapport with the selling agent that they're going to let us know at the very end what sort of price we're going to need to pay to secure it or at least let us know you know, where what sort of price we're going to need to be at to be competitive. And... We can find out varying degrees from selling agents at the time, but the concept with this tactic is to come in last so that you can try to come over the top of the other buyers that have already made an offer. The other tactic related to offering off of of a video is to be first in and to, if the seller is going to be open to considering offers before the home open, you get in there first, you try and wrap it up and secure it before anyone else gets a shot at it. So first in or last in, two good negotiation tactics to consider. Now, finally, our final purchasing tactic 
is winning on terms. And this is how we're securing a lot of extra properties. Over half the properties that we bought across November and December have some sort of, uh, we've met what the seller wants on terms. And we've sounded out and found out you know, what would be more appealing to them. It's never just about price. Do they want a quick settlement? Do they want a long settlement? And for what reason might they want either of those things? And are they particularly worried because the last buyer finance fell over and it's back to the market? You know, in that case, would you be comfortable offering cash? And it's certainly not something that I'd suggest the average person does especially if you don't have all the cash there to, to do it, it would mean that you lose your deposit and could be up for any difference in the selling price if they went on to sell it for less. If you weren't then able to get your finance approval, it did fall over. But there's times when I've missed out on a number of properties and I've just decided to go cash with my offer and make it not subject to finance, even though I was using finance. And in those cases, I've gone and gotten a pre-approval. I've gotten everything ready to go and found out from a finance broker that we've all got high confidence that I'm going to get the loan, prepared to accept that if I didn't, I'd lose my deposit. And in an upward market, if you haven't paid way too much, then this sales agent's going to easily be able to find an offer that's the same or better than yours. And so that part of the risk doesn't come into it. But of course, if you overpay and if your finance is shaky and doesn't come together, it's certainly not a strategy for for the faint-hearted because you can be very worried about losing deposit if, if it all doesn't go according to plan. So other ways that we can win on terms is offering a delayed settlement if the seller still needs to buy something and they need time to do it. And classic there would be, you know, offering a three-month or a four-month delayed settlement. One of the properties that I bought, I had a six-month delayed settlement on but they wanted the extra time to get everything in order so over that time the market had gone up quite a lot and that's the other benefit i wasn't paying loan interest along the way so good one to remember especially if it helps give the client what they need the certainty that they've got a sale but the time to get their affairs in order and or make another purchase and rather than just having the strict time period you might have a three-month settlement period with the option to rent back at X amount per week, being able to give two weeks notice to end that tenancy arrangement. So the rent back can be really important too because the owner then the seller then has got their money. They don't have to be uh, subject to sale at all in their offer and they're in a strong position because they, they've got that certainty and they can find a place and move out with the two weeks notice when they can. Other way to win on terms and it can be a bit scary and it's going to depend on the type of property that you're buying is you could go completely unconditional on all terms so you don't make it subject to building and pests you don't include any warranties that all electrical plumbing gas on working order it's completely unconditional and has no conditions at all and that is going to be a lot more powerful if you're up against other offers that have got conditions and again it's going to come down to the type of property you're purchasing how comfortable you feel about it and i wouldn't necessarily suggest that we do this for any of our clients so i always try and include subject to building and pest inspection using 
at least REMA standard conditions so that we're covered for major defects, structural soundness, and we're covered for pest and building inspection, uh, pest activity and damage rather. So lots of opportunity to use tactics when purchasing there to actually secure the property, secure it sooner. When I look back at properties uh, that we've bought in November, December for clients, I can already see the market's moved up substantially. So if you're getting in, you know, even one, two months sooner, six months sooner, you're going to be so much better off. So always worth using these tactics to your advantage to make the purchase over lots of other competition. Now, finally, there's lots of tactics we can use to add value. I wanted to touch on cosmetic renovation because it's a lot more doable. Property manager could potentially help out depending on what's involved. And we don't want to sort of go into any major renovations probably in this market with the availability of trades being so hard still. So some of the things we can look to do is floor coverings add a huge amount of value. So does paint and so does landscaping. They're the top three things that are going to increase the rentability and value of your property and they make the biggest difference to its presentation. So look to have those always done and always maintained at a high level so that when you go about retenanting it, it's going to be a lot more possible. And final things that that worth looking at for cosmetic renovation is window treatments that cost as much but add a, a large impact. And when we look at the things that a tenant desires the most that can set a property apart, the first one would be air conditioning. Now, we don't take any property on, especially across summer, without having an air conditioner in first. It's crazy that some properties don't have it. It's going to immediately turn the majority of the tenant market off. I once in my bachelor days <laughs> rented a property that didn't have air conditioning at the time. I thought, oh no, it'll be fine. My, you know, it was hard to get a property. I, I rented it knowing it didn't have an air conditioning unit. When it came to summer, my God, it was absolutely diabolically bad. And I was having cold showers and uh you know had three or four fans on me to try and get to sleep i had the windows open i ended up having to go stay at back at my parents place for two three weeks because it was just so impossible to sleep at night it was just horrible so i in that case I offered as a tenant to contribute 50 percent towards an ac being installed and the owner was still reluctant and we finally got them to accept and I don't know how many tenants have contributed to the things being done at that sort of level. But that's another example when if you ask the tenant what will they, what do they want in the property, what do they desire and what will they pay for it, you might be surprised and they see will be another one that they're happy to either do a lump sum contribution or a extra rent along the way. So the other one that can really help a property stand out is a dishwasher. Back in my days of renting, we would never rent or even consider a property unless it had a dishwasher and or a dishwashing recess where we could uh, buy our own and, and have it installed. So a dishwasher is 
definitely worth adding as a value add when you're going about your cosmetic renovations. So a few tactics there to boost your rent and boost your value, starting with floor coverings, paint and landscaping being the top three. And they're the ones that we also look to do when we're preparing a property for sale and wanting it to be at its best presentation so that buyers can get the most emotional about it. And you always find that these properties that have these things done are going to sell for a premium. So worth doing if you're also looking to sell. Thanks for joining me today. Hopefully you've pulled a few nuggets out for those tactics and you can think about implementing them to optimize your investing in 2024. Thanks for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this podcast episode, I'd appreciate it if you could go and give us a review on Spotify or iTunes. And I really appreciate you sharing it with any of your friends. Thanks for tuning in and I'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Just a reminder, the information discussed in this podcast is general in nature. As we don't know your specific situation, you should always seek professional advice before taking any action. For free market reports on your suburb of interest and other helpful resources to grow your wealth, make sure you join my property investor update at investorshedge.com.au slash join. And finally, make sure you're a member of our Perth Property Investment Facebook group. To be part of the conversation with other like-minded investors, get help to your questions, and get a feel for what's going on out there in the market. I'll see you in the group.